0: The year when the photographer Ansel Adams received a Guggenheim Fellowship to photograph the national parks was 1946. You maybe know Ansel Adams' work, those crisp, iconic, black-and-white photos of mountains. Sixty years later, the photographer Jen Lee was granted a Guggenheim, also to capture American landscapes, but in a very different way. Instead of half-dome at Yosemite, Jen Lee photographed salt piles along the sides of highways and turned those piles into mountains that were, in their own way, beautiful. I'm Jill Riddell, and this is The Shape of the World. While a lot of landscape photographers working today are focused on documenting the dramatic ways we humans have messed up nature, Jin Lee is carving out a different territory. She explores the subtle traces humans leave on land, and the way that people and nature meld into one another, how they commingle, how they communicate. My name
1: is Jin Lee, and I'm a photographer based in Chicago, and I teach photography at Illinois State University
0: up front we should mm-hmm. probably talk about the fact that we know each know other, each other. Mm-hmm. right so we've worked together a few times over mm-hmm. our career um, so it's really nice to have a chance to talk thank to you, you for inviting me hmm so Jen how would you describe the subject matter for your work broadly I
1: would say I'm a photographer that makes pictures about places So I have special interests in landscape. My photographs are very much about where I live and places that I frequent. So they're places that are very close to me physically, and I think eventually over time, emotionally, too.
0: We'll get around to talking about Jen's mountains, but it's important to know that the Salt Mountains exist within the midst of other bodies of Jen's work, like... A series of photos on weeds coming up through cracks in pavement. Native prairie that's framed in such a way that the individual stalks of plants loom as stout as bamboo. New work shot not on the sort of view camera with glass plates used by Ansel Adams, and not even on Jen's usual medium format camera, but on an iPhone. And a body of work she did that was all about water. Maybe it's because we humans are made mostly of water and can't survive without it for more than a day or two. But you'd be hard-pressed to find a piece of landscape art that doesn't have a pond or a babbling brook or some form of water in it. Once I was looking at an art catalog of work by Chicago artists and discovered that over half of them had stated that their favorite thing about Chicago wasn't the land or the restaurants or even the people. It was Lake Michigan. I think lake was definitely uh, one of the
1: most kind of beautiful and complicated subject for me. Yeah. Then I started visiting it as uh, weekly or as much as I can and photographed it for about five years.
0: Why do you think it took you a while before you noticed it as a subject of visual interest? There are many
1: things that are around us that we don't pay attention to. I think part of what interests me about being a photographer is starting to pay attention to a certain thing and then therefore start to see it. So some of that has to do with curiosity. Some of that has to do with chance encounter. Some of that has to do with just the kind of the sheer complexity of the subject matter. At some point, I just realized that I really wanted to get to know it better and and that in order to do that, I needed to photograph it over a long period of time. And I also decided to photograph it from a single location because it's a pretty big subject matter. So I needed to narrow it down.
0: Are all the photos in that series of your lake photos from that same location?
1: Most of the photographs are from the same location. And it was so fascinating because I would go back to this one location, but it was never, ever the same. The weather's changing, the seasonal differences, and the time of the day also made a huge difference. And one of the most kind of fascinating experience was just standing in front of the lake and seeing the light change minute by minute, second by second, and having a sense that I can just stand there for the rest of my life. And look at it and photograph it, you and know, never po-
0: get tired or and never feel- never get
1: tired of it. I think that's something that I feel often about the subject matter that I end up working with is that there is complexity and depth that I could devote many years of my life
0: exploring it. You might be interested to know that one of your photographs of Lake Michigan is the first piece of art that everyone sees when they come into my house, and what do you think about that piece when you see it? Because you live near the lake. I love it. I find your work to be very calming. Mm -hmm. And there's a little titch of exhilaration in it each time I see it as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a perfect way to describe the lake,
1: don't you think? Yes. It's both calming and um, stimulating at the same time yes it really is mm-hmm.
0: and it also just feels as though there's a world of possibility in it
1: yes and you know what's interesting about the lake series is as i was editing through it um i was very it was very it was a difficult process trying to figure out which image to select the process of selection was difficult for me in a sense and i think towards the end i started to realize that different images seem to reflect different state of mind. So there are certain images that seem bright or that seem moody or darker. And it's a really odd way to think about landscape, but I started to also think about landscape as a kind of reflection of inner scape. I'm interested in describing certain material facts or surfaces of the world. But at the same time, I think I'm also interested in the way those landscapes then connect to the things that we're thinking about or feeling. It's another way to think about becoming part of the landscape through this process of photographing it.
0: So we live in this city that is situated on land because we're a terrestrial animal that prefers Mm -hmm. being in land to Mm -hmm. living in water. And yet, We have this 28, 30-mile shoreline where the city just dead ends right at Lake Michigan. There's no chance for urban sprawl because it's an aquatic environment and we don't live there. So it is a very visually dramatic cusp, an edge. And I see in a way that other pieces of your work are often about the edges of where two things meet, whether it's the weeds and plants that are coming up in an alleyway, and finding their way through concrete or the edges of salt piles that look like mountains and sort of their background against sky and land. They seem like a singular object. Can you talk to me a little bit about that, about the meeting places?
1: When you were talking about the edges, I was thinking about the series that I did on the prairie, and the Prairie series were photographed in a way that where the camera was placed low to the ground. So I'm kind of looking up to the plants and there's a sense um, that the viewer is like a bug, kind of going through these the leaves and stems and exploring the prairie world they're all photographed at the edge of the prairie. So that's where the prairie actually meets the sidewalk or meets the flat ground. So there's a lot of interesting kind of illusion or deception to photography.
0: The way you're describing the way you photograph the prairie, it seems as though we're seeing this vast grassland. Mm -hmm. In fact, the photographer, the person who's the stand-in for us who is seeing it, is actually sometimes standing on a sidewalk looking at it or not standing but is down very low on a human-made pathway Mm -hmm. looking at the prairie. Is that what I'm hearing from that?
1: Yes. The prairie was my first exploration of Illinois landscape, thinking about how the land came to look the way it does and also thinking about what we no longer see, what the land used to be. So a lot of that work had to do with thinking about the history of the land and doing research into the past native landscape. So there are small patches of prairie that still Exist, So I had to seek them out and travel to different sites to photograph. What do you think was driving that desire in you? There is some sense of wildness or wilderness that I'm interested in, even though we live in a city, that I think when I encounter these places, I actually do feel a certain sense of exhilaration or sublime fascination. And I think I want to recapture that through the photograph and in photography by positioning myself in a particular way or through framing or through cropping or through use of light. You can recreate that sense of really a sense of looking at something for the first time or looking at something without all of these other distractions or noise that are present around us.
0: That's fascinating to think about photography as sort of a physical sport. That it's your physical body in a presence, in relationship with the landscape and finding your place in there in a very physical way.
1: Yes, for me, photography is really a way for me to be out in the world. And a lot of my pictures are made through walking. And I like that pace of kind of moving my body through the landscape
0: and seeing and discovering things as i'm moving photography we think of it as mental or it seems sort of static when we see the photograph on the wall Mm -hmm. but in fact you know a human being in a physical body is is making that art
1: for me what i'm interested in is actually being in my body being out in the world exploring it and having that physical encounters or sensations or discoveries, and I'm hoping some of those experiences come through
0: the photographs. In the last episode with Phil Enquist, who's an architect, Phil discussed the way that when we're outdoors in nature, we're paying attention, but it's a form of unapplied attention. Where we don't feel stressed or mentally exhausted by the experience of a hike in nature the way we do when we're using applied attention, the type we use when we're at work. When you look at one of Jen's photographs, it seems to engage a combination of applied and unapplied attention. There's something to pause over, something to consider, and also something that provides the mind with a healthy chance to wander. In that sense, Jen's physical experiences of having been outdoors do come through in her photographs. So recently, I've been seeing that you've been doing a series on your train ride between the city of Chicago, where you live, and Bloomington, Illinois, where you teach. It's about a 130-mile train ride. 150, yeah. 150-mile train ride. So that's the series. I call
1: it the uh, train view. It's a, a body of work that I'm still working on. So I started taking the train to work in 2014 after years of driving back and forth. And when I started taking Amtrak, it opened up a whole new series of landscape for me that wasn't accessible through the highways. I think it was a very different way of photographing for me because it was a route or the pathway or the landscape that I had not chosen. It was already determined for me through the railway between Chicago and Bloomington. And it's always interesting for an artist to be
0: given constraints.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And there was a lot of constraint in terms of just the train route hours, too. So sometimes I take the train at night after teaching. And a lot of the images are very dark because of that, or one semester I was taking very early morning train to work, so a lot of morning light in that series too. The variety of subject matter that I encountered through the train window was just phenomenal to me. That includes the land itself, which is open and beautiful, but also small towns, small town cemeteries, train stations,
0: rivers. And you also have photos of people on the train or their reflection in a window or the way the inside of the train's responding to the outside of the train.
1: Yes, it's very much the experience of being in this space with other people, and I don't photograph people directly, but I'm very aware of the presence of others. And sometimes they're captured through reflections as well. It's a, a communal experience of being, writing together. Do you ever listen to music while you're working? So this is an interesting bit of information, is that when I'm taking pictures from the train, most of the time I'm using my phone. And the reason for that is that it makes good pictures. It's really light, it's silent, and it's pretty invisible to other people. So I've tried working with other cameras, but I keep coming back to my phone as my tool. And the wonderful thing about the phone is it's also a music playing machine. So often I'm listening to music and I usually set my music on shuffle. So it's whatever song that happens to come on. And that becomes part of the background music for the landscape. It's a really interesting experience. It's uh, silent for the viewer, but often when I'm looking at the landscape outside the train, I'm also, there's a kind
0: of a musical track that's parallel to it. It's almost like you're viewing a film. You're viewing the landscape rolling by and then you've got a soundtrack to it.
1: Yeah. The views from the train is very cinematic. It's moving. You know, there's a kind of a narrative to it. One moment gets replaced by another moment. And there's a whole kind of genre of film and books that are based on train rides, right? Right. Absolutely. So it's very ripe for mystery and drama.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What would be a song or two
1: that might be on your playlist? Jazz works really well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's whatever happens to come up next on my shuffle list.
0: So using the camera on your phone for professional work, is that new for you? And is that because there's a convergence of the quality of the camera getting better And you're being on a train and not wanting to pull out a camera that everyone recognizes as a camera?
1: Prior to the train series, I was photographing with a film, medium format film camera. I like the slowness of the film. I like the look of the film. I like the grain in the film. But it just wasn't appropriate for the train series because I needed to take lots of pictures in order to maybe get one or two images that worked. And so that became my jump into the digital world, into digital photography.
0: Because we are humans ourselves, the most Mm -hmm. fascinating thing on Earth to us is other humans. Uh (laughs) Um, Tell me a little bit about your choice to largely avoid other human beings as subject matter for your work.
1: That's a really great question. Um, I am not—I think— I um, think a, s- a simple <laughs> answer to that is I'm not particularly interested in faces or bodies as the subject matter for my work. But thinking back to all the work that I've done, I think people and their activities and their presence in the land or in a place is very much part of the work. I think it's a very roundabout way to talk about us, you know, of our culture and of our society, but through the landscape where traces of that can be seen or the impact of humans can be felt. But I guess in in another way, I'm just more simply more interested in nature or in landscape. Maybe it goes back to this idea of photographing subjects that are both calming and stimulating for me. And I think landscape does that in a way that it would be very different than photographing people.
0: And you're in one of the flattest places in the world Mm -hmm. on that ride. Like literally, Mm -hmm. the -hmm. the difference in topography between a high point and a low point might be only six feet different. Mm -hmm. That's very, very flat. Do you ever wish there were some mountains?
1: If I were riding the train through the Rockies or some very dramatic landscape, I think the landscape would look probably very much like a calendar landscape. And I think as a photographer, I'm more interested in looking at subtle landscapes. And I think that's one of the pleasure of working in this landscape is the flatness, the sense of openness, and then sense of the sky and the amazing cloud formation that I look at. And I guess one of the things I'm interested in is the idea that we don't have a landscape here, that this is the boring part of the country. I'm interested in exploring that through my work. I like the flatlands
0: myself. (laughs) What do you like about it? Some of the same thing. I was raised in the Midwest. I remember Tim, whom you know, who's now my husband, but at the time wasn't. But we traveled together to New Zealand after we graduated from college. And sometimes I found myself like sitting on a park bench, deliberately positioning myself away from the mountains and Mm -hmm. the view Mm -hmm. because it was just so pretty and magnificent that I felt tired or (laughs) I felt overwhelmed Mm -hmm. and I wanted to look at something bland for a little while. And Mm -hmm. I thought it might be my Midwestern roots coming out that I was just too overwhelmed by natural beauty.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I remember being at a residency in Vermont and there were these beautiful mountains, but sometimes I felt a little bit claustrophobic. When I come back to the Midwest, there's always a certain sense of relief. And I'm not sure it's because I lived here for over 30 years, so that's what I'm used to. Or in a way, that's my landscape. So then I've learned to have affection for it. So it's probably a little bit of both. But I think it is important to feel the certain sense of uh, comfort in your own landscape. And I think that's probably one of the reasons I got into landscape work is because I wanted to both explore it and learn to see it, but also kind of
0: feel connected to it. You made some mountains for some of your yeah, I did. Uh, yeah. images. Can you tell um, us a little bit about that series, uh, your mountain series? So that
1: body of work came after I spent a month in Wyoming oh, doing okay. a residency. And this is one way that I'm getting to know Other parts of the country is through doing artist residency where I get to spend a long time or at least a month getting to know the landscape and also having time to think. When I came back from Wyoming, I was thinking about those contours of small hills and low mountains, and then I started to see those shapes in the piles of salt that the city had gathered for winter snow removal. And those snow pile sites are not that far from my studio on the west side. So it's something also something that I saw daily on my drive to my studio. So a lot of times, once again, these things are just kind of things that I see from the corner of my eye. As I'm driving around the
0: city, and just so for folks who don't live near highways, or uh, or who live in the south, I might just mention we're talking about big piles of road salt. You would look at it and you would think you were seeing something that was monumental.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the things I really love about photography is that I'm photographing things in a way that does not hide the identity of the subject matter. I'm not making them abstract or. I'm not um, manipulating them. But and yet there's through very subtle means that you can change the feel of the scale.
0: Right. And help somebody notice it because the mm-hmm. scale has changed and suddenly mm-hmm. it's startling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Jen is adept at taking control of an audience's attention and directing our focus. That skill combined with the fact that we know each other could be the reason why during this interview, Jen sometimes turned the questions on me. We've been having this conversation for a while. Um, (laughs) You wrote a wonderful
1: catalog essay for me when I had a show at the Sioux City Arts Center of the Prairie series. So I wanted to ask you how you became interested in
0: the subject
1: of nature and landscape.
0: I grew up in a rural area Mm -hmm. and came to go to college in a very urban area. And when I arrived, I brought a flashlight with mm-hmm. me because I thought if I was walking around <laughs> at night, I was going to need a flashlight to see where I was going. And I just hadn't really caught on to that idea that there would be street lights mm-hmm. illuminating things everywhere. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of things that took a long time for mm-hmm. me to adjust to the right. dark. The right. lack of darkness was mm-hmm. a big one for me. Mm-hmm. I would get on a bus, and go out just because I saw there were forest preserves on mm-hmm. a on a map that mm-hmm. were west on Dempster, and mm-hmm. so I just ride the bus out there to go and look around at nature and um you were missing nature i was missing nature Uh even though i was right on the lake the campus Uh for the university i was at was right on the lake and i loved that Uh but it was um it was a challenge and i was given that paradigm that i think a lot of people are which is Uh that city is sort of bad and that's the human side and it's mm-hmm. dirty and it's, mm-hmm. you know, not healthy or, mm-hmm. and that, you know, nature is pristine and much mm-hmm. better. And it took me a while to really appreciate how fabulous it is that mm-hmm. there are all these mm-hmm. little corners of nature mm-hmm. that are all tucked in amidst mm-hmm. the human infrastructure. And in fact, basically we're living in a big ecosystem that right, just happens right. to have a bunch of buildings in it. Right. And then when, it, when I was thinking about what I wanted to write about, I thought I would just like people see that connection mm-hmm. a little bit more. So in my writing, mm-hmm. I got more and more interested in writing about nature and landscape mm-hmm. and a little less about people, although the two are always intertwined in mm-hmm. my work as they are in yours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think about that a lot, too, that I really do love living here. I love Chicago and I love the city and there's a certain kind of energy that I get and there's so much to think about. And I'm very much, very happy to be part of this society and this culture. But There's also a need to think about nature and also the lessons that nature can teach us. And I'm interested in kind of looking at where we can find those moments. And I think for me, when I was photographing the weeds, it was discovering these wonderful little independent, strong plants that are growing on their own. And through the cracks, through the alleys, and I just admire them so much. So that I did a, I guess that would be my portrait series. Um, (laughs) The portrait of
0: the little uh, individual weeds. Portrait (laughs) of, yeah.
1: (laughs) And some of those plants that I recognize from the prairie too. So also thinking about just the complexity of plant life.
0: When I first graduated from college, I went to work for an international conservation organization that saved like the rarest uh, habitat for the Rarest Plants and Animals. And I had a great fascination with the very, very rare. Mm-hmm. And something as common as a petunia I would scoff mm-hmm. at and think was, Ugh. <laughs> you know, oh, who mm-hmm. would have that? Or mm-hmm. um, And now I just want to model my life on petunias. <laughs> and um, because they're resilient, they'll grow no matter what. They'll mm-hmm. grow on a little city balcony, mm-hmm. little small towns. We'll put them in pots and hang them from the streetlights. And they're pretty and they're gaudy and they just survive 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 mm-hmm. and i think there's something to be said for being resilient and um and appreciating the things around us that are willing to live with us mm-hmm. and willing to survive even in the middle of a certain amount of abuse and neglect like a petunia <laughs> so i sort of have changed my mind now i'm now i'm all about those weeds
1: Did you grow up in California? So I was born and raised in Korea, and then my family moved to California when I was 13. When I was living in Korea, we lived in Seoul, which is the capital, and I'm very much a city person, but I also spent my summers at my grandparents' uh, farm outside of the city. So looking back, I think my experience was always between the city and the rural I think in my work, I'm very much interested in using my immediate environment as my subject matter, because those are the things that I live with day to day. And I want to both learn to see those um, places better, but also learn to understand and make meaning of those places.
0: What would you say your influences were on your artistic vision when you were starting out in the early days? And... Who are you affected by or admiring now? When I started photography in
1: college, I was admiring a lot of documentary photographers, so people like Walker Evans or Robert Frank. And I think I was interested in photography's ability to record a place and time and what those photographs mean as time goes by, but also the way a photograph is put together and questions about what constitutes a good, meaningful photograph. So even though my work is not in the documentary tradition per se, I think it very much comes out of that style. With the Train series, I've made a full circle, very much interested in thinking about both social and economic realities of this area in relation to political events. Do you think about your work in relation to the tradition of
0: writing, too? As a woman, I'm very conscious of the fact that I'm the first woman in my line Mm -hmm. of the family to have had a chance to write and Mm -hmm. tell my story and tell the stories of the people around me.
1: Yeah, it's about having a voice, right? Yes, and it's an honor. And that's a great responsibility to have. Mm -hmm.
0: It's true for most women of our era that the women that came before us didn't have that chance.
1: Yeah, very much so. I I think a lot about the history of photography and thinking about how my work is part of that tradition and yet contribute something to that ongoing conversation about what photography can help us understand about where we are and who we are.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. This is Jill Riddell, and I hope this conversation with Jen Lee inspires you to notice not just mountains, but smooth, flat spaces, even boring ones. Next week, we'll be talking with the scientist, Johanna Goyes-Vallejos, about her discoveries about frogs and what it's like to be a field biologist. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if you remember this scene of in Jurassic Park when, when the, the doors of the park open and the, the jeeps go inside. That's how I felt, that the same feeling of wonder of just finally arriving to the field station and and just knowing that so many things were ahead of me. Until then, enjoy the land, the sky, the water. The Shape of the World is about nature and people and the world we share. It's a production of the Office of Modern Composition, a business that creates compositions and fosters composers. If you have a story to tell, the Office of Modern Composition can help. They can go all DIY and teach you how to write and produce the story yourself, or they'll do the whole thing for you. Either way, you can end up with a permanent archival piece that presents your ideas and experiences. The Shape of the World is produced in the vital, vigorous, and beautiful metropolis of Chicago in the prairie state of Illinois. You can find The Shape of the World on Instagram and on the website, shapeoftheworldshow.com. There you'll find images of Jen's work and a drawing of Jen by the artist Rose Curley, and much more. The Shape of the World's producer is Ari Mahia. The theme music is composed and performed by Brad Wood. Thank you to today's guest, Jen Lee, and to Illinois State University.